God has done for us and what we have in Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. So today we're going to be continuing on in our Acts series. And so I want to give a little bit of a, a review as, as we do that, as we move back in to our Acts series. So I'm going to go way back. So Acts was written by Luke, the same Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke or the Book of Luke. So in the Book of Luke, he covered Christ's birth. That's, a lot of times that's the reading of the Christmas story is there in Luke. So you have his birth, his ministry, you have his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And then Luke also wrote the book of Acts, which we are in right now. So you have Luke, which is the life of Christ up through his death and resurrection. And then Acts is the sequel, really, to the book of Luke. And that is where we leave off here in the book of Acts, is Christ has just commissioned his disciples and says, I want you guys to go make me known throughout the whole earth. Start in Jerusalem, then go to Judea, then go to Samaria, and then to the utmost parts of the earth. But don't start this mission until you've received the Holy Spirit. So go wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. And so that's where uh, we were in chapter 1. And then, as you know, Christ ascended in, in chapter 1, and, and some angels said, don't be standing here wondering. The same way he left is the same way he's coming back. And then following that, the disciples are kind of hanging out in Jerusalem, just waiting for the Holy Spirit. They're spending time praying together. And there were 11 disciples at this point. We know there were 12 disciples previously, but Judas had killed himself. And so there, at the beginning of uh, the book of Acts, they choose a new disciple who is Matthias. And so there's these 12 apostles, we would call them, and then about 120 disciples. And this group is the group that's going to bring the message of Christ to the uttermost parts of the world. And that's what the book of Acts is. And, and presently we're in chapter 2 and they're still in Jerusalem. And as we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit had arrived with power. You remember that? And it sounded like there was a loud wind rushing and it was during Pentecost, and so there were all these people from other regions that had come around, and as they heard the sound of this loud rushing, and as they went to go see what it was, they saw all these, some people say it was just the apostles, some say it was all the 120. They had something like fire above their heads, and they were speaking the wonders of God in all these other languages that they had not previously known. And so the people are saying, this is amazing, this is incredible, and it's a group of, of Jewish people there, and, they're, and this is incredible, what is going on? And then there's this other group of people, they're like, these guys must be drunk, this is nuts, man, what, that's the only real explanation. And then Peter begins to address this crowd, and, and, and as I was reflecting on the passage, I was thinking, this is the same Peter talking to these people that was afraid to mention Christ. And he was the, the one who denied Christ three times. And it says that he, when he realized it and that rooster crowed, that it says he ran off weeping bitterly. And then what, what a picture. Now he's boldly proclaiming Christ and he has become now a witness for Jesus Christ. And he says, hey, you guys, this is what was talked about. The prophet Joel had told us about this 
uh, event happening, the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out. That's what's happening right now. And this marks the beginning of the end of times. It's kind of like God's last chapter for humanity and for his plan, his redemptive plan. We're in that last chapter. And so that's where we left off last week. Does that kind of help jog everybody's memory, feel like we're on track? All right. So what he's, he's got these Jewish people there, and he's trying to help them to understand. And they, remember, they're going to be witnesses to all of the world, but they're starting there in Jerusalem. And so what he's doing is he's really helping them to understand, as we're going to talk about today, is the fact that they're going to find out the truth about Christ. And so Peter's going to continue his, it's his first sermon, it really is what it is. It's his first sermon, it's the church's first sermon, and he's speaking to a group of Israelites or a group of Jews. And so we're going to go through and that's what we're going to be talking about today, all right? I'm going to pray one more time and then we'll read the part of the passage and start talking in details. Father, we come before you, we thank you again for your son. I thank you for this section of scripture that tells us how your disciples, your followers, made your Son known. And we do want to rely on your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have given us the opportunity to have your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would work in us today, that you would be uh, not just honored by the way that we, uh, and worshipped, that we would not just worship you well, but that we would surrender ourselves to you and surrender ourselves to your word this morning, God. I do ask that you would use your word to bless people here, to minister to them as they need it. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so I'm going to go back and I'm going to read the first section of this. So remember, he just got done saying, hey, this is what the prophet Joel had told us about. And then he moves into his, uh, what I would say, the beginning of his sermon. In verse 22, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and have put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So right off the bat, he begins to tell him, this is the message about Jesus Christ. And so, one of the first things we can see in 22 is he says, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, that would be, so Jesus' name, his regular person name was Jesus, or it would be Joshua or Yeshua. And so basically what he's saying here is, hey, you guys know Joshua of Nazareth? Well, you, you remember that guy, right? Well, he was affirmed by God by the miracles he did, the signs, the wonders. And you guys remember him. You, he was the one that you guys saw him around. God's hand was truly on this man, this Joshua of Nazareth. And you think, so why is he starting out here? Well, because there were all kinds of ideas about who Jesus Christ was. And if you remember, and if you've read through the Gospels, you would even see where there were places where people thought he was uh, sent from Satan, some people claimed. Some people thought he was just a great prophet. Some people thought that uh, you know, he was a lunatic. 
Some people, they, there were all kind of ideas about who Jesus Christ was, and that's what Peter's trying to straighten out here. And he wants them to know clearly who Jesus Christ is. And if you think about it, we need to be clear on who Jesus Christ is. And I would say to you that that's probably one of the most important things that you need to figure out in life. Because once you become clear and once you become convinced about who Jesus Christ is, it makes all of the rest of life clear. It brings everything else into focus. And as long as you're unclear about who Christ is, things will always seem confusing. And so Peter here is helping them to understand who Jesus Christ is. And he says, God's hand was on this man. This was not just some ordinary man. It wasn't just one of the old Joshua's that hung out. This was the one that was a supernatural man. There was something different about him. He had God's hand on him. And so he was affirmed by God. And then next in 23, he says, Him, Christ, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. And so really what he's saying here to this men of Israel, he's talking to these Jews, and he says, Hey, you guys had a hand in his crucifixion. But before we go there, we need to understand that this was part of God's plan. And, and, and just so you know, no one took Jesus Christ's life away from him. We're celebrating Easter and the power of Christ. And, and it's important for us to understand no human took Jesus' life. He laid down his life willingly. In fact, he said, he said as he cried out, he said, Lord, into thy hand do I commit my spirit. He gave himself up. He offered himself up. And so that's how it was possible for his life to be given, was it was part of God's will, God's plan, preordained from the beginning. Even in, I believe, in Genesis 3, we begin to see there's going to be a Savior. And he's going to be, he talks about that Satan is going to get his head crushed, but before Satan gets his head crushed, he's going to strike the heel of the Savior. And I believe Christ's death is a picture of just, it's a heel strike, but it's not a death blow. And so Jesus Christ's death was foreordained. It was part of God's eternal redemptive plan. There was a plan for Jesus to die. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't that he got overpowered. It wasn't that God didn't know about it or God you know, happened to be taking a, a, a nap that afternoon. None of those things. It was part of God's plan. But at the same time, it was on account of sinful man. He said, by lawless hands, right? You guys and these Jews had conspired with the Gentiles or the Romans to have Christ crucified, right? They were the ones that kind of got the Romans to do the crucifixion. And so here you have these Jews and these Gentiles. And in the Jewish world, the people that Peter is speaking to here, that's the only two groups of people there were. That encompassed the whole world. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. And he basically says, the Jews and the Gentiles are responsible for Christ's death. And that's the reality, that Christ did die, and he died on account of sinful man. And it says in other places in Scripture that he died on account of our sin. He died for the sins of the whole world. So as we look at these men, you're like, oh, wow, these guys, how... You know, how could they live with themselves? They were responsible for the death of Christ. Well, did you know that it was also our sin that sent Jesus Christ to the cross? That's why it was part of God's plan. 
I mean, think about that, your sin. And you think about the sin. If, if I took my sin here and just piled it up in the middle of the room, and I, I've mentioned this before, I put my sin here and piled it up in the middle of the room, I mean, it would be gross and disgusting. And then we took your sin and 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 your sin, and we heaped all of that here. And then we did that through all the ages of all populations through all ages, and that is the reason that Jesus Christ died on the cross was for those sins, to make atonement for those sins. And so it's our, our, our sin that also brought Christ, Christ to the cross. <clears throat> I'm getting tongue-tied here. And then he says, whom God raised up. And so it kind of ends on this dark note, like it, it starts going, oh my goodness, you know. We're the ones responsible, and that was the end of the story. And you have to think that this group of people were probably thinking that same thing of going, yeah, that, as far as we knew, that was the end of the story. And, you know, they had posted Roman, made sure Roman guards were posted at the grave because they didn't want uh, people to come and steal the body to try and trick everybody that he had been uh, resurrected. And so they're thinking, yeah, he died. You know, I believe these Jews thought, yeah, we've heard some rumors about him being resurrected, but you know, we're, we're kind of thinking he died, and, and Peter's going, no. You know what? God raised him up. And he was loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. The idea here is that there is some kind of captor trying to cling on, some cruel oppressor trying to cling on to somebody and drag them down to the pit of death. A lot of times that's how we think of death. They're being dragged down. And what he says is that death could not hold Jesus Christ. It was not able to, to keep him captive. Jesus Christ defeated it. And then Peter doesn't end his sermon on that sin note, does he? And on the death note. Here, pretty much the rest of Peter's sermon, he's really going to focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's very important for us. It's the first Christian, I believe Christian church sermon. And what is Peter majoring on? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know what the Apostle Paul said? And if you kind of wonder and you're kind of in limbo and you're like, I don't know who this Christ is, this Jesus, I'm not sure what I think, you know. Definitely a historical figure. Uh, maybe, you know, just a, you know, a good teacher, a prophet. Well, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so key that the Apostle Paul said that our faith is useless if the resurrection is a hoax. And he said, in fact, we're supposed to be, of all the people, we're supposed to be pitied the most. Basically he's saying, then we're a bunch of idiots who just fell off the turnip truck and fell for a bunch of nonsense. But we know that it's not a bunch of garbage. And that's what Peter's trying to explain to these guys because you have to imagine these guys are probably thinking the same thing, like, uh-huh, he rose from the dead. Okay, uh-huh, all right. Yeah, we've heard that one before. But it, this is so essential that Peter's going to just go drive the point home. And so what I want us to understand is it's important for us to recognize that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so vital to us knowing who he is that we have to either embrace it. You're going to be left with a choice once you hear about the resurrection. And so we all have this choice. You're left with the choice when you hear about the resurrection. 
Either he is who he said he is, and that demands a response from me, or it's a bunch of baloney, and I should just go find something else to do with my time and energy. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. It's not just maybe some good teaching. It's either he's an outright liar and a fraud, and all this, we're wasting our time, and it is a giant hoax. And as some people out in the world think, just a money-making scheme or whatever it would be. Or Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and he is exactly who he said he is. And so then that has some ripple effects into what are we going to do about that? How are we going to respond to that? So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a pivotal idea in our faith. And everybody's left, I mean, I, I, can't, I could sit here and give you science. I could give you, uh, you know, uh, first century readings. I could give you all these things. That's it between you and God if you're going to believe in the resurrection and believe in who Jesus Christ is or not. I care about that, but I can't, I can't change your mind. That's between you and God to decide if you're going to buy into the real identity of who Christ is or if you're going to blow it off kick the can down the road a little further and say, ah, not buying, not, not, I don't really need to make that decision. It's so vital that Peter wants to make sure it's really clear. So what else do we learn about Christ? Again, this is what Peter's trying to help them to see. Hey, he, his, he's affirmed by God. God's hand was on him. His death was a part of God's plan. You guys might have thought that, you know, he got, uh, you know, bullied into to his death, but that was all part of God's plan. But it was for sinful man or on sinful man's account, but yet his death was not the ending point. In fact, it's just the beginning. And so next, what he's going to help them to see is that his resurrection was prophesied. So he's trying to help them to understand, like they're probably skeptical going, um, yeah, I heard that. But what he wants to help them to see is he wants to see, hey, this was told of beforehand. And so he's trying to convince, who's he talking to? Is he talking to Jews or Gentiles? Jews. He's talking to a group of Jews, a, a group of Israelites. And so he starts pulling out a heavy hitter when it comes to Israelites. And when you start talking Israel, there's a couple big names you can drop. You could drop Abraham and you can drop David. I mean, you know what's on the, uh, Israel's flag, right? It's the star of, even today... In Jewish uh, faith, David is the heavy, one of the heaviest hitters. And so that's who Peter goes to. He goes, hey, listen to what, you're going to want to take my word for it. Listen to what David has to say. So in his sermon, he goes, I'm going I'm to give you a little quote here from David. Now, let me explain something here. As we read this, it could be confusing. Why did he put this David stuff in here? Because I think he wanted them to convince. They were bought into the scriptures. They were bought into the prophets. They believed that, and so he helps them connect the dots. And what he does, if you just read this, he's basically saying, David said this, but David was not saying it as, I'm David saying it. He was, David was saying as this, I'm Christ saying this. I wrestle with using this word because it was not this, but it might help you. It has the idea that he was channeling Jesus Christ when he said this. He was not channeling Jesus Christ. You, under, you understand, right? Please don't misquote me. 
This will be one of those things like, oh, I'm never going back to that church again. That guy's t teaching witchcraft. Yes, we do. Thank you. But I want to make sure I'm perfectly clear here. But that's kind of will hopefully help you get the idea. He was, David was speaking the words that Christ would be speaking, okay? And he says, David says concerning him or the Christ, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced. That my tongue and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope. Again, David saying this as if it's Christ saying this. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. So basically, he's saying, Hey, David was prophesying this, speaking the words of Christ, saying, You're not going to suffer death. And then he says to him, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. So some of them might have been going like, how do you know David wasn't speaking about himself? He's like, he's dead. His bones are in the tomb over there. That's how we know. Obviously, we all honor and respect what David had to say. He wasn't talking about himself. He's dead in the tomb. He must have been talking about someone else. Uh, his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, so he's saying David was a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, in other words, somebody from David's lineage, the fruit of his body according to his flesh, in other words, somebody from David's lineage, this was going to be true of, and, and Jesus Christ is of David's lineage. According to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ. And so what he's saying is this David was prophesying about the resurrection of Christ. That his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. And so he goes, hey, David said it, and we saw it. We spent 40 days with him speaking. He was here after he was resurrected. He spent about 40 days hanging out, explaining the scriptures to them. We saw him, David said it, he is not dead. God raised him up. And so again, we go back to, he's trying to help them say like, I want you guys to know the truth about who Jesus Christ is. And again, I want to make the point for us. It's important for us. We're going to have to grapple and assign an identity to Jesus Christ. I mean, he has his identity, but we are either going to have to say, he is who he said he is, and he's the Christ, or he's not. And all of this is a bunch of baloney. And if he's the Christ, then that demands a response, which we'll get to, right? So what do you think's going on in these guys' hearts, in their minds? Like, what are they thinking? Hey, you guys crucified him. God raised him. It was part of God's plan. David spoke about him. These guys, what's, how are these guys going to respond? He said... Uh, We'll finish what David said. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, so Christ was exalted to the right hand of God, uh, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Remember they had heard and seen the Holy Spirit? He's going, Christ went up, he's with the, at the right hand of the Father now, and he allowed, he poured out the Spirit on us. That's what the, this is all about, is Christ went to heaven and now has poured out the Spirit. And he said, for David did not ascend to the heavens, but he said himself. So again, he's going back. Hey, David wasn't talking about himself. 
the Lord or God said to my Lord or my master Christ, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. So his resurrection was prophesied. God's hand was on him. His death was a part of God's plan. Man played a part in it, but death could not hold him. His resurrection was prophesied. So this is kind of where he gets to the kind of the pinnacle, the wrap-up point of his sermon. It's not the wrap-up point of our sermon, but it's the wrap-up point of his sermon. And he says, so therefore, so in other words, so, all that I just told you, so, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, this Yeshua, this Joshua guy that you crucified, both Lord and Christ. The resurrection confirms who Jesus Christ is. He wasn't just a prophet. In other words, what he's saying is he's saying, hey, all this stuff I just told you confirms, assuredly, rest assured, be confident. The resurrection makes it clear that we know who Jesus is. He is the Lord and he is the Christ. And when he says that Lord, the idea is, and we know how that word is used, the idea would be used of an emperor, of a king, of a ruler. That's the idea of a boss. That's the idea of the Lord. He's the authority. And so he's saying, these guys crucified him. These guys were, had a hand in his crucifixion. A lot of them, I think, probably thought Christ was nuts or some cult leader. But now all of a sudden, these men of Israel are beginning to realize he's the Lord. And I believe, and we'll not get into details of this, but I believe that that term also carries with it the idea of deity, that he's more than just man, that he's God in the flesh, that he's Lord and the Christ. And so for us, we think of it like, you know, on Jesus' birth certificate, it said, Jesus, or Joshua Christ, like Christ is his surname. That's not how it was. Christ is a title that was given to him. Christ means the anointed one. It's a, another way that you would often see it is the Messiah. He's saying he's the Lord. He's the utmost authority, and he's the Messiah. And when these people hear that, the Christ, they're like, Oh, oh my goodness, you mean the one that we've been waiting for to rescue us? The one that we've been waiting for to deliver us from oppression? We've been under uh, Babylon's heel, Romans' heel. We've been oppressed. And the one who is, has been uh, foretold of for many, many years that he's going to come and bring us rescue from oppression, who's going to bring prosperity. And these guys are hearing, you guys killed this guy. But it's so... It's, it's okay. He, he's, he's raised up. You guys didn't finish him off. And so for us, the resurrection, it's important for us to really grapple with the reality. The resurrection is a reality or it's not a reality. It's true or it's not true. If it's true, we can rest assured that he is the Lord and the Messiah, or as we would say it in our modern language, the Savior. And He does. And we know that this is literal. One day Jesus Christ will return and will rescue this earth from all the damage. And there will be prosperity and He will bring peace. And He will come as a warrior and straighten everything out. But even now, 
We can have salvation and we can be rescued from oppression. We sang about a lot of it this morning, oppression from shame, oppression from guilt, oppression from our own sin, oppression from all the, the garbage in the world. And so Jesus Christ, I believe, and, and Scripture teaches that He is the Lord and the Savior, and the, and the resurrection is key in demonstrating that fact. And if He is the Lord and the Savior, we have great news, don't we? Because I need to be rescued. I need to be rescued from myself. I'm an idiot. I'm a jerk. I have a lot of sin in of myself. But you know what? I have a Savior. Sin was strong, but Jesus was stronger. We sang it this morning, right? How many of you guys have had sin of somebody else's uh, wreck havoc on your life? How many of you had your own sin wreck havoc on your own life? I have. You know what? He conquered sin. He conquered death. He's a Savior. He's not just a buddy. He's not just a historical figure. He's not just a cool guy. He's not just a concept or an ideal. He is the Lord and He is the Savior and He is the rescuer of my soul. He's the rescuer of my life. My life would be in the toilet without Him. And I can guarantee you, some of you know my family and you can say, yes, sir. Without a doubt, that's where you're headed. And it's not because I'm so cool or so clever or so smart or so uh, goody two-shoes or anything else. It's because Jesus is good and He is the Lord and He is the Savior. Rest assured, you can be assured of it. The resurrection proves His power. Isn't that good news? How is this group going to respond to this, though? How are they going to, what are they going to say? His resurrection confirms He is Lord. His resurrection confirms He is Savior. So, responding to the truth. So, we're given a choice. These men are given a choice. Let's see how they respond. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Their hearts were pierced. And said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Can you imagine this? It's like they just got hit in the head with a two-by-four going, What? That's who he was? Oh my goodness, I can't believe what we were doing. What do we do? What do we do? And Peter said, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Man, that's a good news message, isn't it? Basically, when we hear repent, we're like, oh boy. I, so I, I, that means I need to go grovel, right? Go crawl around in the gravel on my knees for a couple of weeks. I need to quit the bad habits that I've started. That's not what he, well, he's not talking to these guys about their bad habits. What he's talking to them about is, well, and what repent means, the whole idea behind repent is that you would turn from one thing to something else, that you would have a change of heart and a change of mind. And so <clears throat> what they have to do is what he's saying is, change your mind, choose to believe the truth about Christ as, as opposed to buying into the lie about Christ or as opposed to buying into just some watered-down version of Christ. Repenting would mean turning just from I thought he was just a good guy or I thought he was this or I thought he was that to going, he is the Lord, he is the Savior. That's repentance. 
He's not saying, all right, everybody, throw your cigarettes into the middle of the fire pit here. We're done with it. Repent. Ah, you got to know you what you got in your back pocket. Get that out of there. Everyone say sorry in front of everybody else. Raise your hand. Grovel. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, receive the truth about who Christ is. Open your heart up to that instead of having your heart closed. And, and they already had had their hearts pierced by this news. And so it says, do that and be baptized. And so the idea of repent and let every one of you be baptized, I want to take just a second to explain that. Again, repent would be that we would uh, embrace the truth about Christ. Embrace the reality of who he is. So for you here, maybe today, maybe, yeah, he's a guy I might get to know one of these days. Maybe you would need to repent. And what that would look like is to say, I need to begin to recognize him as my Lord and my Savior. I need to trust him to save me. I need to maybe trust him with this area of my life. I've been trying to run my marriage, man. I'm wrecking it. So it would be to repent, would be to turn to Christ from whatever else it may be. I've been trying to work my way to heaven. Well, turn to Christ. He's the rescuer. Embrace him as Lord and Savior. So that's what repent means in this context. Right? He's not telling them to quit do something. They couldn't unkill him. They couldn't uncrucify him. He's not asking them, hey, you need to really erase the past. Don't we wish we could erase our past? God doesn't ask us to erase our past. He said, I, I, I can use your past to make something beautiful in the future. Praise God. That's how powerful he is. He brings life from death. That's our Savior. That's the message we have. That's the message of today. That's the message of Easter. Life from death. And identify yourself with them. So baptism here, and, and, and I just want to explain something. The idea of baptism, we told them to go be baptized. And, and some people think, oh, well, you would have to be baptized to be saved from your sins. And what he's telling them is they were, they were familiar with this idea. So a non-Jew, if they wanted to convert to Judaism, they would then be baptized Jewish. So now they're identified as a Jew. So it was kind of a mark of conversion. It was a mark of identification. And even as we do uh, immersion baptism, it's idea that it's a mark of identification with Christ that I've been crucified with him and I've been raised up. It's a mark of being identified now with Christ. And what he's saying is I want you to identify with Christ. You guys were identifying yourself with the law, with the system of the law. You were identifying yourself with the sacrificial system where your sins every year would be covered through a sacrifice. And then probably as soon as you even left the temple, you were racking up points that would need to be covered again for next year. I mean, probably maybe even before you left the temple, depending on who you bumped into on the way, in or out, right? And what he's saying is, Hey, that's not what you're identified. Be converted to the way of Christ who washes away sins. And Jesus Christ doesn't cover our sins temporarily. He cleanses them permanently. He makes us clean. He says that over and over and over in Scripture. That's the idea of forgiveness. Is he takes that away. He removes it from us. So when he says that, he says, identify yourself with him. And so for us, we have a... a Opportunity, how are we going to respond to Christ? Are we going to recognize Him as Lord? Is we going to recognize Him as Savior? 
Are we going to identify ourselves with him and what he's done for us and realize that he forgives sins? It's not up to me to try and cover them up or to hide them like Adam and Eve did, right, immediately? Get the old fig leaf going? No. It's to realize that I've been washed and cleansed, to identify myself under Christ. I'm converted to now. It says, in the name of Christ. That's what, that's what it says here. Let's go back. Um, be baptized in the name of Christ, or in other words, identified with Him. He's your new identity, Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. In other words, what He's saying here is when you have done that, that you recognize that forgiveness of sins comes through Christ, not through a sacrificial system. And many of us have tried to figure out ways to have our sins erased, cleaned away, uh, swept under the rug. We wish we'd try and dodge them, try and just, you know, cover it up, medicate so we don't have to think about them, whatever it is. Good luck. Good luck. It sucks trying to live that kind of life. And it sucks trying to live a lot. I should say stinks here. It's Easter Sunday. <laughs> stinks, stinks to try and live a life where you're trying to do enough good to outdo the bad. Right? That's, that's not forgiveness of sins. And, and if, you took, if you imagine if you took somebody's life and then you went to your family and you said, what can I do? Will you forgive me? And they said, well, I just want you to work, constantly work. That still wouldn't give their, their forgiveness to you. I want you to work it off. Okay, I'll do it. There's a difference between saying we forgive you. We release you from that. You're released from the penalties of all that. And that's what Christ does. He releases us from the penalties of our sin that we've racked up for ourselves. Identification with Christ. Enjoying the blessings. It's forgiveness. He says that with the forgiveness of sins and new life within. It says here that he says, For the remissions of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the reality is that because of the resurrection, he is able to offer us forgiveness. Because of the resurrection, he is able to offer us filling up of new life. The Holy Spirit, righteousness. Isn't that cool? I've, I've, uh, I think it's Bob George has an example of mason jars, and I think it's a beautiful example. And I'm not a canning type person, but uh, you know, some, you all are familiar with the concept where you take a, a jar, mason jars, and they sterilize those jars. And they sterilize those jars and they make them really clean so that they can put good stuff in them. They don't just sterilize them and leave, un leave them empty. And that's what God does for us. He doesn't just take away our sins. That's half the gospel. The other half of the gospel is he goes, I want to fill you up with my righteousness. I want to make you a temple of the Holy Spirit. I want to dwell in you. I want to live through you. Man, that's good news. That's the resurrection news. That's life taking someone like me and bringing me from spiritual death to spiritual life. So not only does Christ offer us eternal life, which is a wonderful blessing, because he conquered sin, he's conquered death, but he offers me forgiveness, cleanness, takes away the penalties of my sins. He's paid for the penalty of your sins also. And he says, I'll take those away from you if you put your trust and faith in me. Don't trust in yourself. Trust in me. I'll take that away. And he says, not only that, I'm not going to leave you empty and just cleaned out of bad stuff. I'm going to fill you up with righteousness of God. 
If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a temple of God. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling and living in you. You may not feel like it. You may still be dealing with sin in your own life. But as we see here, he says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Man, is God good to us or what? Amazing. I want to go back and just read a little bit here on the end because I feel like I missed the, the part about the, uh, their response. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sin and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children. This offer is for everybody. He didn't just say, okay, you guys, this is a special deal. Call now. And it, today's the last day for this deal. He says, hey, you know what? This offer is good for you and for your ancestors and as many as the Lord God may call. It's an open invitation. So if you feel personally like that's too good for me or I'm not sure if he meant me, it's an open invitation, this forgiveness and filling of God's goodness. He said, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. He's pleading with them. I want you guys to be rescued. I want you to be saved. He continued to preach. So this sermon wasn't as short as it appears. If you're like, wow, how come Peter gave such short sermons? It says he continued to, con to exhort. And, and so we don't, we kind of summarized it down. So uh, glad they added that part in there. And he says, be saved from this perverse generation. And this, this is what happened. Then those who gladly received his word, there were a group of people that gladly received this. Sometimes we come to church and it's like a heavy, I just got hit in the head kind of message. But this message of the resurrection, this message of forgiveness, this message of being filled with the Holy Spirit is something that we can receive gladly. It's good news. He says, in that day... Uh, received his word, got baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls. I don't know what the percentage on that is, but, I mean, this was a church growing from 120 to, what, 3,000 plus and uh, 100-something? So we see God's keeping his promise, huh? You're going to spread my word, and this is still the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the utmost parts of the world. It's happening here in Acts, unfolding before our eyes. So, as, as we close, I just want to say, you know, today we're celebrating Christ's resurrection. It's something we really can celebrate all year long. We didn't just pick this to have a holiday to just put something on the calendar, but it's a good time for us to remember why we follow who we follow. Because He is Lord and He is Savior. And if you're not really convinced of that yet, then that means that you have a response that you're going, to have to, you're going to have to make a response for who he is and his identity. And you're going to have to decide for yourselves who Christ really is. And I just want to say something, that he is a rescuer. And as we talk about of sin, from our sin, and I think about this group of people, and if you think your sin or your garbage is too big for him, or you got to get your act cleaned up first, that's the biggest crock of baloney there is. It really is. Look who he's talking to. He's talking to those who he just said had a hand in actually crucifying Jesus Christ. And he conquered his sin. He conquered death. And then he offers this group forgiveness and filling of the Holy Spirit. He's the resurrected Lord. He is the Christ. And so we're left with a decision. How are we going to respond to the reality of who Christ is? Who do you believe he is? 
That's between you and God. And God's word tells us he is the Christ, he is the Lord. He's the boss. He's the ruler, he's the king. And he is also the Messiah, the Savior, the rescuer. And I would just encourage you to, I'm going to close us in prayer. I'm going to let it just have a minute of uh, silence. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ for salvation, all he says that we need to do, all scripture needs to do is say, I'm trusting you to save me, Jesus Christ. I believe that you lived perfect life, died on the cross for my sins, rose again. You have the ability to offer me eternal life. I want to receive that in forgiveness. I'm putting my faith and trust in you. That's something you can do in your own heart. I'm not going to ask you to march up here. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. That's business between you and God. And you just tell him yes today. And don't think, oh, I don't have, know if I have enough faith. He'll take our messed up, bungled up kind of faith, and he does a miracle with it. We just say yes to him. Don't worry about it. It's not about what we can do and our faith and how great we are. It's about what he has done. So I'm going to give you just a minute. And again, I would encourage you, if you've never done that, to open your heart up to Jesus Christ here this morning. And if maybe you've been living with him as your Savior, but you're not really recognizing him as your Lord, as your ruler, as your king, that might be some time. You might say, I need to hand this off to you. I need to let you be my king today in this area of life. I'm going to let you be my Lord. I'm going to let you be my ruler. The resurrection changes everything, doesn't it? Amen. Praise God. I'm going to give a minute of silence, and you can pray in your own heart, and then I'll close us. Father, we come before you and we thank you that we can come into your presence because of your risen Son. And we thank you for the chance to go over the scriptures this morning to reflect on the power, the might, the authority of your Son, but also on his mercy and grace and kindness that extends to us. Father, I just admit as, as I go over these things and say them out loud in public, it is just so moving and refreshing to my own soul to think what you have done for me through your Savior. And I know, I pray that you would open up people's hearts here, uh, that we would all experience that to a deeper level, that we would embrace that, that we would be confident and convinced of who your Son is. I thank you for the good news. I thank you for new life. I thank you for new hope for the future because of your Son. We pray these things in His name. Amen. Amen. Happy Easter. Amen.